Sometimes the smallest things take up the most room in your heart. A.A. Milne Hello and welcome to the Elegant Balance Podcast, where we explore how to create a well-balanced life full of simplicity, joy, and beauty. I'm your hostess, Dr. Kaylee Hackney, wife, working mom, and expert in the work-life interface. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the science behind work-life balance, practical tips, and plenty of love and encouragement along the way. My desire is to inspire women to pursue their elegant balance. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be here with you guys today. I meant to record a podcast last week, but instead we had a crazy Texas winter storm, and so my plans were changed. But I'm back here today, things are back to normal, and I'm really excited about it. So I wanted to um, just jump in like I have the last couple weeks. I've really enjoyed sharing the spotlight with a different listener each week, and so I wanted to continue doing that today. And I want to share a review that was left by J.M. Babs. She left a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, and she stated, Love this. This is a wonderful reminder with wonderful ideas and tips. It is also nice to know that we are not alone in having a hard time finding a work-life balance. Thank you so much, J.M. Babs, for your review. I love hearing how this podcast has been helpful for you all. I mean, that's really the whole reason I'm doing this, right? And yes, you are so right. You are not alone in trying to find your own work-life balance. If you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, head over to Apple Podcasts. If you search Elegant Balance, click on the show and then scroll down, there's a place to leave a star rating and a review. These mean a lot to me because they help other women not only find the podcast, but also decide whether it's worth listening to. And the whole goal of this is to reach as many women as possible and help them create their ideal work-life balance. So please head over there and leave a review now. So today's episode is a little bit different. Today I wanted to do a research spotlight that's focused on a book chapter that my colleagues and I published last summer. It's entitled Invisible Grief, an Examination of Miscarriage in the Workplace. So content warning right now up front. This episode will involve discussions of pregnancy loss and what it's like to return to work after pregnancy loss. If that's triggering for whatever reason, feel free to just shut me off now, okay? I have always enjoyed working on different research projects that are based on my own personal experiences. My choice to specialize in the work family interface was based on growing up in a large family, watching my mom juggle work and family. In fact, I wrote my dissertation on the impact of job stress on mother and baby health after giving birth to my son during one of the most stressful times in my life, a PhD program. This book chapter and the continuing work that we're doing in this area is no different. In fact, it is a very, very special project for me. You see, between my pregnancies with my son, who is six now, and my daughter, who is two, I experienced two miscarriages, which is the loss of a pregnancy before the 20th week of gestation. 
These were two of the most difficult times in my life, and it was particularly difficult to navigate going back to school and work each time. Aside from a personal motivation, there are a few other reasons that we wanted to examine miscarriage and the workplace. Management literature has only recently seen increased scholarly attention to the experiences of pregnant employees. However, it has remained relatively silent about a major part of many employees' pregnancy experiences, which is pregnancy loss. Roughly 15 to 20 percent of recognized pregnancies end in miscarriage. In fact, it's the most common pregnancy complication. Not only is miscarriage more common than most of us probably realize, but there are also several reasons that it's relevant to the workplace and something that is worth looking into and learning more about. First, it might actually occur at work for some women. Second, it may cause women to miss time from work. And third, it has organizational consequences due to the significant grief that women experience. The big question that we dig into in this book chapter is how do women navigate returning to work after a miscarriage? So one of the theories that we use in this chapter is called the pushing on theory of perinatal bereavement. As suggested in the name, the core idea of this theory is pushing on, which describes how women suffering pregnancy loss move beyond their grief and eventually incorporate that pregnancy loss into their lives. It's under this umbrella idea of pushing on that there are six different stages that women move through. And so as I discuss these six stages below, I want you to remember that um, each woman's experience within each stage is going to look different, right? Because we are different. And second, this theory presents the stages as though they occur in chronological order. But as we all know, life is often a lot messier and a lot less organized than that. Regardless, I think it's really helpful thinking through these six different stages in realizing what women are going through as they've experienced a pregnancy loss and kind of what's going on behind the scenes when they get back to work. So the first stage is called experiencing the pregnancy. In this stage, pregnancy goes from being a possibility to being a reality. It's that moment when we see the two pink lines on a pregnancy test and we feel all the emotions that go along with it. Now, a woman's reactions to the fact that she is pregnant is going to be impacted by a lot of different things. But once she commits to continuing that pregnancy, she begins envisioning that pregnancy ending with a live birth. And she also starts to form an emotional attachment to her anticipated baby. The second stage is losing the baby. The second stage involves learning that the pregnancy is no longer viable. And when that happens, women often experience shock and numbness and detachment. However, these blunted emotions don't last very long, and she's quickly forced into the third stage, which is called bearing the burden. In this stage, women have to bear the emotional and the physical burdens of their pregnancy loss. The emotional burdens can include depression, anxiety, insomnia, anger, complicated grief, and even an increased fear of death. 
On top of all of those things, women are also faced with really difficult decisions, such as whether to miscarry naturally or to undergo a surgical procedure that um, is called a dilation and a cutterage. And how or whether she wants to share the news with her, with her friends or with others. There are also some physical burdens that women have to bear during this stage, including the physical healing itself, um, but also experiencing different symptoms like phantom kicks or her arms aching to hold a baby or even lactation. The amount of time that it takes women to move beyond the worst of this pain is going to vary from woman to woman, but eventually she's going to recognize that she has to make an active effort to push through this pain. And that's where we get into that fourth stage, which is called working it through. This stage involves actively working through the pain and the grief of her loss. Um, and that's going to take a lot of time and effort on her part. Women working it through, like in this stage, are often searching for answers about why and what happened and why it happened, reflecting on it, and also seeking help. The fifth stage is called coming to terms. Slowly and in their own time, women will move into this fifth stage, which involves coming to terms with their pregnancy loss. At this point, they've learned how to integrate their pregnancy loss into their everyday lives. Um, but that pain is still there, and it can kind of pop up, especially on days that hold special meaning for her, such as Mother's Day or the due date or the anniversary of her loss. The final stage is living a changed life. As you can imagine, or maybe you've even experienced it yourself, having a pregnancy loss and then pushing on through these first five stages that we just discussed is going to have a really major impact on a woman and how she views herself, how she views her family, and the world around her. So the very fact that most of these stages that I just discussed can and often do take place at work means that pregnancy loss is a topic of concerns for managers and leaders and organizations. I wanted to introduce these six stages for a few reasons. First, they provide an excellent glimpse into what women are working through in their personal lives as they return to work after a miscarriage. If you've listened to this show for long, you know that work and family experiences do not occur in a vacuum. Instead, they spill over and they impact each other. We cannot expect women to arrive at work and leave their grief at the door. Second, having experienced two miscarriages and feeling like there was something wrong with me, like I wasn't grieving the right way, um, getting to know these different stages really provided a lot of validation for my experiences, and I pray that they do the same for you. So keeping these six stages as a backdrop, let's move into a discussion of the different workplace, um, the workplace factors that can make things worse. I, I know it sounds really exciting, right? Um, but th there are some things that make the experience even worse, such as societal norms, organizational norms, and job demands. And then there's also some other factors that can make things more bearable for women, such as resilience resources. So the presence of dysfunctional societal and organizational norms surrounding miscarriage 
are only going to make things worse. There are four different norms that we talk about in this book chapter, and I just briefly wanted to introduce them to you. So dysfunctional norm number one, in our society, there tends to be a shroud of secrecy and silence surrounding the topic of miscarriage. In fact, a lot of us are told not to share our pregnancies with anyone before the 12th week of gestation because that's when the risk of miscarriage um, decreases significantly. The dysfunctional norm number two is that in the workplace, miscarriage is often seen as a taboo topic because it involves physicality, sexuality, and emotionality, things that people don't always want to discuss or think about or hear about in the workplace. Dysfunctional norm number three. Out of shame or fear of discrimination, many women do not share their miscarriage with their employer or their coworkers. Even though by sharing, you might open up different avenues for more support that would ultimately help in the healing process. Previous research has shown that women may face discrimination in the workplace if they are perceived as trying to conceive or if they're perceived as being pregnant. And us women are very aware of these perceptions, right? And in the case of miscarriage, women might feel like they're doubly failing. Um, not only are they failing because they're not able to live up to that ideal worker um, because they're pregnant, but they're also failing because they lost the pregnancy. And then dysfunctional norm number four is that the grief of women who have experienced pregnancy loss is doubly disenfranchised at work. So disenfranchised grief is grief that is incurred by a loss that's not openly acknowledged, it's not publicly mourned, or even socially recognized. Not only is grief in general stifled in the workplace, but pregnancy loss is often perceived as minimal because it's assumed that the mom didn't have enough time to develop the relationship with her child. The presence of these different dysfunctional norms is going to make it that much harder for women when they return to work and they try to navigate the workplace after a pregnancy loss, especially when we consider that connection and support are necessary for healing and coping and that allowing women to tell their story can actually be a path towards resolving that disenfranchised grief. And that's really one of the main drivers behind this research and behind this podcast episode. I want us to be able to tell our stories. In fact, after my first miscarriage, I decided that I would tell others about my pregnancy before 12 weeks because walking through that first loss and that grief that went along with it without other people knowing about it and without being able to talk about it openly only made things that much harder. Okay, so let's move on to job demands. Normal job demands may be more stressful upon returning to work after a pregnancy loss. This is another factor that leaders need to consider, that a woman's normal job demands may seem more stressful to her upon returning to work after a pregnancy loss. Not only do leaders really need to consider this, but we need to remember this as well and have grace with ourselves when we go back to work. Returning to work is inevitably going to mean that we return to our normal job responsibilities that are associated with our job. Yet, 
you might return to work only to find that you're unable to perform at the same level that you did prior to your loss. This won't last forever, but the research has shown that women who have experienced a pregnancy loss may have difficulty completing tasks that require high emotional labor or high levels of concentration. These are normal effects of grief. And I mean, if you think about it, they are likely tied back to the amount of effort and time and energy that women are devoting towards actively pushing themselves through those six stages of pregnancy loss that we talked about earlier. I believe that this really highlights the need for us to not only learn more about returning to work after a miscarriage, but also just the need in general for us to create space for pregnancy loss discussions and support in the workplace. Speaking of support, having access to resilience resources such as social support or organizational accommodations will help protect women from dysfunctional work and personal outcomes. So up until this point, we have established that a miscarriage can be a stressful and even traumatic event for women. We have also examined some of the different factors that might make this experience even more stressful, specifically those dysfunctional norms and our job demands. All of this is going to lead to dysfunctional personal and work outcomes for, for those women. But the good news is that having access to some resilience resources can really help women push through this difficult time. When we talk about re resilience, I'm, I'm referring to the ability to continue functioning when faced with, with immense difficulty, right? And our ability to be resilient during a pregnancy loss is going to greatly depend on the access we have to resources. So the first resource that we talk about in our book chapter is social support. And like I mentioned earlier, connection and support are necessary for healing and coping with grief. And allowing women to tell their story can be a way to resolve that disenfranchised grief. Support could look different in every situation. So maybe you're a leader and you support your employees by helping them manage the overwhelming workload of their job demands. Maybe you're a coworker and you just need to be present and listen to, to her. Um, and some women may not want to share with their supervisors or their coworkers, and that's fine. But maybe they would greatly appreciate the ability to be able to have personal conversations with their family or their friends while they're at work as needed. The best way to provide social support to a woman who's grieving is to ask her how she wants to be supported. And for those of you who get asked, you need to answer honestly. The second resource that we talk about is organizational accommodations. So organizational accommodations could be immensely supportive in helping women navigate returning to work after a miscarriage. But unfortunately, there is currently no federal law that requires the employer to provide any type of bereavement leave and then this coupled with the fact that the death of a baby while still in the mom's womb is hardly recognized at all, which means that there's a lot of improvement that could be done in this area. As it stands now, it's entirely up to the employer to determine whether any time off is allowed for the employee to grieve over her miscarriage. Another type of accommodation that could potentially be helpful 
in this situation is some sort of employee assistance program. Um, This is something that would provide resources such as counseling for these women. If you're in a leadership position, I highly encourage you to consider what could be done to fully support women experiencing pregnancy loss in your organization. When organizations provide the necessary time, the flexibility, and the resources that women need to push on through their pregnancy loss, we will likely see less severe dysfunctional outcomes for her, both personally and at work. If you've stuck with me this far, I am so, so glad and thankful that you're here. This project is super important to me, and I'm really excited to share what I'm learning with you. If you're a leader in an organization, I hope that this discussion has maybe given you some food for thought, things that maybe could be improved in your organization, or ways that you could support your employees even better. If you're a woman who has experienced pregnancy loss, first of all, I am so, so sorry for your loss. And I pray that this discussion has been both encouraging for you, but also validating like it was for me. So we are continuing our work on this type of research on pregnancy loss in the workplace and are actually getting ready to start a new data collection. If you work full time and have experienced a pregnancy loss within the last year, I want to invite you to share your story with us. We hope to learn more about the transition back to work after a pregnancy loss And we also want to make an impact on how organizations and leaders support their female employees. So if you're interested or if you know of someone who may be interested, please send me a message on Facebook or Instagram, which I will link to both of those in the show notes. I hope you all have a beautiful week and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Elegant Balance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of our future conversations. Also, it would mean a lot to me if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you, friends, and have a beautiful, joy-filled week.